podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Rugby World Cup Weekly, our flagship weekly review show. It's not been a great weekend for the vast majority of our listeners, if they're there at all. Ireland's quarterfinal woes continued as we bid merci and au revoir Johnny Sexton and Keith Earls in a cruel end to their respective eras. A battling Wales came undone in Marseille to Michael Checker's Argentina. England pipped Fiji in the same venue before South African Masterclass saw them eliminate the host France in a game for the ages. Joining me tonight are two heartbroken, dispirited, but resilient Irishmen, considering they're on here. Um, even if we all enjoy the weekend's action, should be said. So welcome back on to Ball Handling Hooker and to Jack Fogarty. Welcome on, lads. Thanks for having us. Cheers, lad. It's always good to have you. Um, listen, we're, we're going to gonna be honest here. We're going to leave Ireland to the end. So if anyone wants to talk, listen to conversations about South Africa, France and all that, and avoid the Ireland chat, which plenty will. That's fair enough. We're gonna if we're gonna account for that. So we're gonna start with last night's thriller, South Africa. 29, 28 victors. As I said, one of the great World Cup games of all time. Jack, this tournament, it felt like destiny for France. But despite probably being at maybe not five star, but ninety-five percent of their best, and with this raucous atmosphere, they're out and they're heading home. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. I was. I audibly gasped when uh, when they ripped it or uh, knocked it on right at the end because I just thought there's no there's no way they're going to make a mistake here. South Africa have to do something to 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 make it you know um, to make it their 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 ball their their kind of their victory the way that um, sort of the Ireland game kind of ended you were expecting something big but it was actually I didn't I only saw it, uh, today that Faf actually got in with the with the rip. That actually um, dislodged the ball from um, was it Wardy? So yeah, it was Red Wardy on the carry. Who had actually had a few good involvements before looked, the before he looked the really good, didn't he? Um, but he got yeah, he 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 went for it, and Faf just managed to just got onto the ball and just ripped it out, which was massive, massive play. Um, for actually. Uh, Myself missing the first thirty minutes of the game, I uh, I kind of wondered if I had missed all the all the all the good action, but um, I was there for the for the mark uh, scrum call from Valimso, which was just I, I I kind of I think we all must have sort of had a double take and kind of thought what's 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 going on here? He's he's not actually uh, called it for a scrum, and I thought I thought they were going to correct Ben O'Keefe and be like no 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 he doesn't want a scrum, he's just asking if he wants a scrum, but they were like <laughs> nope, let's go for it. And then what was hilarious was they actually won a penalty and then they missed touch with the kick and then yeah. they had to go back and then kick it out again, which I thought was just very South Africa. And I just thought, wow, yeah, of course you've done that. But um, South Africa just were incredibly ballsy. They just knew exactly what they what they're capable of, knew exactly how to how to break it all down. And and that I guess that Etzebeth, uh try that um, took them, you know took them beyond France was just a ridiculous call you know it's an easy 
it's an easy three points, isn't it? Um, but they just went for it, and fair play to them. They just they just know their stuff, don't they? And they it's it's like they've it's like they've planned for it. It's like you know, uh, like they were expecting New Zealand or France. They were like, yep, no worries. Whoever it is, we'll you know we'll take them on in a in a you know in an arm wrestle against France or something something a bit different like New Zealand, but. Um, France were bloody good as well, though. I thought I was watching it, and I was just thinking, oh, I was so happy for Jalabert because I thought he's he's bossing this game. He's 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 running lines. He's running. You know, he, I mean, his running game is just he might be one of the best tens in in terms of like his running game, but just his skill. And then the the, the missed the missed penalty kick to touch. I think kind of maybe um rattled everyone a little bit and they got a bit nervy after that because that was a big big mistake and it just invited more pressure which you just never want to do against Africa um but as a match it was just phenomenal it was just a, a, a class watch and um South Africans just squeeze the life out of you don't they um yeah. and it's just it's 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 it is great to watch because especially when you're not interested in you know you've got nothing uh you've got nothing hanging on the game you're not you're not you're not supporting either side but I imagine if you're if you're French watching on you're just so frustrated because you can see the you could see what France were trying to do and they could, they were almost there and they were almost there but just South Africa just works so damn hard and um I just had more more gas in the tank I think at the end of it yeah they did and yeah we could probably spend a bit of time on this, but you looked at how the two teams approached this game. They almost said, well, we're not going to let this be an arm wrestle. We're not going to let the, for South Africa, it's, we're not going to let this become a game that's defined by three-pointers and the crowd and all that. For for, Fra- for um, France, then it was, we're going to take this game to them. We're going to really test them. Some of their passes that they were trying to, trying to exploit Figu or the shooters out the line, like, ballsy as hell as well you know and it, it nearly worked for them like that's this is something we'll get on to for every game but the fine margins of it are slender and BHH I'll come to you next because like again France are out South Africa true we knew it was going to be a coin flip game but in terms of how the teams approached it not not only did it make for a cracker but it was a, it was tactically endearing in and of itself because you you kind of could see the chess match within the chess match within the chess match yeah absolutely yeah and like france opens like a house on fire you know if it wasn't for um that etzebeth slap backwards as ben o'keefe said like that could have been france up 14 nil, and it's a different story at that at that point you know like Watching France's opening, I had the thought that, oh, well, at least Ireland don't have to deal with this and it's going to be another, you know, it would have been another massacre against them. Um, So for South Africa team to respond and to come away with something was incredibly impressive. Like it's a, that's the sort of thing the champions go through. And you can definitely see they are an infinitely better team than they were four years ago. And they just have the experience now of winning it as well. And the belief that this coaching team has instilled in them is incredible. And it, it really made for an outrageously entertaining game that would have been so much more fun had, you know, we not just been knocked out. Absolutely. There was there was kind of that element you're heading into this game and 
I mean, not every Irish fan was was actively rooting against England, but everyone wants to see Fiji do well. And if Fiji had done it, it would have been great. And it was that kind of mini heartbreak. And then this game starts. And as you said, it's it's a million miles an hour. Like it was like a game being played at times two speed at times between the breaks, the offloads, the tackles, even the intensity of it. Like for like no, I I don't mean to to be rude, but like when you hear say BT go on about or TNT is there now, go on about how the Premiership is the fastest league and all this. It's like well, this is kind of what you know these leagues think they are. They think they have the intensity, they think they have the skill, they think they have the speed, but this was pure test rugby, pure filth at times. Like it was it was that good and. I suppose we have to talk about South Africa as well because they are on the precipice of going back-to-back. They've never done that before. Only New Zealand have gone back-to-back with World Cups. Yeah, they're going to face a stiff challenge against England with the with the short turnaround and having played such a great game, but they are coming close to it. And, and Jack, like for South Africa to, to come out having... Like they looked really good against Scotland, looked good against Ireland even in defeat. And then this game, uh, BHH mentioned it there. Like they actually look like they've improved on four years ago, and all this talk of them being one-dimensional and dull—it's you could throw it in the fire. Like they're—they're they're not. They're in a really impressive rugby team. No, totally. They—they they just look—they just look ridiculously fit and fast, and just you know these big units, and they're just flying around like, and it is. Seriously impressive, like, and they and 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 you know they'll throw it around as well. You know, I think that's it's partly part of their part of the tactics is you know create as much disruption as possible. And you know the um, the Colby score just comes from direct from a turnover, two three passes. Creel sees the space, kicks it into there, and Colby's away. And you're not you're not reacting quick enough. No team in the world is going to react that you know, quickly to, to you know, turnover ball. It's the best attacking, you know, um, ball you're going to get in rugby, like we all know. But yeah, like they they will they will test you. And I think they've probably been mis, sort of misrepresented and misbranded as, as you know, just the the big lags that'll, that'll beat you up when you've got, when you've got Aaron Sir, uh, Colby, um, LaRue, guys like that who could really play. Um, you know, we're being we're being fairly uh, you know, um disrespectful to those kinds of skill sets and Manny LeBoc, I suppose, for for a for a mention because he is a very sort of skillful player. He he can, you know, he can uh he can uh, he can mix it with the best, uh just to mention his kicking. But you know, he uh you know, they they can they can really, really play and they've got ridiculous sort of nines and tens and things like that you know uh, the fact that was, the fact that Reinach was was starting and then Faf coming on it's just that's a luxury you know and uh they they're just they're just bloody tough like they're just bloody tough to beat and yeah they, I mean maybe the um maybe the the two week kind of rest in before helped them out a lot where they were just able to really just manage people and you know really just get to like an, an emotional kind of peak for this game, knowing that the next game was probably going to be, you know, not as intense. You can probably react a little bit more to, to the, to the game next week and, and just sort of get to the right 
pitch sort of conserve energy again and then hopefully we've got a final to play for and then it's it's everyone's everyone's up for it then you know um so i mean yeah they've just they've just prepared so well i think they just had everything planned out nicely and it's just worked out really really nicely for them they've just they've just done a you know a fantastic job and you gotta take a hat off to them they've you know they've beaten the they've beaten the hosts and um that's you know you know as much as you can say yeah it really is and it's it's funny like no matter what way the two blockbuster games this weekend went it was always going to come down in some regard to who all out taught the other to at least some degree even if not entirely but I thought South Africa's tactical flexibility was was really impressive to take off Khaleesi um for Quadra Smith or sorry for Dion Ferry with a half an hour to go you had LaRue Pollard Fafter Clerk coming off the bench they really just said right in the last half an hour, we're going to try and wrestle control of this game. We're going to try and squeeze it. We want to be the ones dominating. And it's kind of a tale as old as time as well. South Africa are great front runners. They always have been. They've always been very good at getting in front and holding on to it and, and squeezing you. And like it's one thing to have a deep squad. It's one thing to have a, a talent-filled squad. But to have a 23 that like people say it's not the bomb squad, still pretty impressive. And it still won them this game. Like France went six two, and it looked like it may have cost them. They may have needed a bit more of a spark off the bench last night. Um, no disrespect to Makalu, who carried well, but it's that's probably where this game was somewhat won and lost in the dying embers. And just finally to yourself, BHH, like France will be bitterly disappointed. The the rugby world kind of wanted to see them go through. Um, as cliched as that is, because they're hosts and everything, but. Realistically, they're going to have a lot of these lads there in four years' time. They're going to have a lot of these lads there for the next three or four Six Nations. Like they're not, they're not gone because they lost one game by a point in a in a World Cup quarterfinal. No, absolutely not. And um, it's a, it's a very young team, and they'll be supplemented by two under twenty World Cup winning teams as well. You know, like it's um. Like to think that uh, the winger Yael Barre was thought to be one of the weak links because he's only twenty and he's the one who stopped that uh, that you know Mark Scrum penalty from being put into touch. You know, like he has that wherewithal even at, at such a tender age. And they were the team that destroyed Ireland in the under twenty final this summer without him. It's it's kind of scary just the production that they've had in the last five years. And it's kind of hard to see that stopping. So, and especially with all their resources and having the Pro Dida and 14 professional teams, it's unlike Ireland where we have some of the talent coming through. These lads are going to get first team reps uh, at, at a senior level much quicker than some of the Irish lads as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a model that works. They they know how to fund it. They know how to run it. The players know where they stand. The clubs are, are successful. And yeah, there's an element of they play in an awful lot of club games. And every once in a while that comes back to haunt them. We think of Toulouse the last two years in Europe, for instance, looking a bit legged. But France are, are not going away. Um, And it's kind of... I don't want to say it's a pity that we have to move on and talk about the other two quarterfinals, but this one was so good. 
and the next the next one that we're going to talk about was decent but not incredible. Um, England, guided by Owen Farrell, make it to another World Cup semi-final. This will be a repeat of the 2019 final after their 30 to 24 win over Fiji. Like, listen, Owen Farrell showed what he can do, just like Johnny Sexton showed what he can do, and Bowden Barrett did, and so on. It, it was a great weekend for the out halves. PHH, I'll, I'll let you take the lead on this one. Fiji will, they will feel like they let this slip. They had chances. They had a dominant set piece. Probably didn't get the rub of the green at breakdown time, I think is the, the best way to put it, maybe 60 40 or so, or so forth. But for England, it is progress and it is a place in the semifinals. And that's, I mean, that is the duality of sport when you, when you look at Ireland and France conquering and England are the ones in the semifinal. Yeah, yeah, it's um, I kind of view this game as uh, like a big journey, but like these two teams have gone gone through, you know, like who'd have thought that we would have been almost expecting Fiji to get into the semi final? Well, uh, I was expecting them to to beat England, given how much progress they've made in the last couple of months. You know, the Fijian Drua has been huge for their development. They came into this tournament playing some great game-managed rugby. Um, we knew they had the skill to to score tries in an instant, and we saw that in this game, to bring it back into a draw with 13 minutes left, and you thought they were going to kick on. Um, but I think the the loss of Caleb Munts before the tournament and then TD Tella before this game kind of shows, you know, this was a... This wasn't their best performance in this tournament. Um, they, their their flair was on show, but it wasn't there for most of the game. And you know, Fiji can go away and be disappointed, but I think if this is a, a signal of what's to come for them, that that's very exciting. And then on the flip side, like if you're an English fan, you're happy that they're maximizing their chances of winning with their style of play and they're definitely improving as the game is going on. It's, you know, less sleep-inducing than the Argentina victory, for example. But, like, if, if that continues over the next four years, there's not going to be many people who expect them to reach another semi-final. So, is that progress compared to four years ago? Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure. Um, as for the refereeing, I, I'd probably agree with you. I think Bottier was a bit unlucky. He was... Uh, a devil at the breakdown as he always is but at the same time Fiji were probably lucky not to get a red card with Habosi you know I'm not really sure what a red card is anymore it's kind of not not after this weekend anyway no but um, yeah look if uh, I know a lot of fans of all countries are disappointed with referees for from the quarterfinal but I don't know if any of them have any merit outside of maybe Fiji at a stretch, but I do think England were probably the better team and deserved to win this game, even though that's not really what we all wanted. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it is the case that Eng- England were better. There's, there's no doubt about that, but the, if you ever say that paint by numbers and rugby by stats, it, it means nothing. I'll, I'll give you one. One of the England back three, had five meters total in carrying and had three passes. Like if there's ever 
a 13-man game, or even not a 13-man game, maybe even a 10-man game in the modern game. It is this this England side, and listen, listen, let's not be completely outlandish either. If it wasn't for Owen Farrell and George Ford, they probably wouldn't be in as good of a place as they are, because those lads have bossed them through the pools and now through this this game, and that's, again, the importance of having an elite out half at test level. It, it's been the case for 30-odd years. And I, you have to give them huge credit for their composure. Like yeah. To concede two tries like that and get it back to a draw, you felt the momentum was with Fiji, and then they just stifled the game again and got two more, uh, what, a drop goal and a penalty and put it out to six points. Like, yeah. like that's a masterclass in you know how to maximize your chance of winning when it's not a great system around you otherwise yeah absolutely there's 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 absolutely no reason not to praise their their well i mean their halfbacks as a as a rule have been poor but ford and farrell have been very good jack i'll come on to you about england's like it's hard to know whether they have the talent to play an expansive game sometimes because doesn't look like they do sometimes they look a bit like you know Ireland 2019 at times but when you do have the likes of Etoje the likes of Jamie George the likes of Owen Farrell um, I thought Tuolangi had one of his best games in a while you're probably just going to have enough anyways because these lads at the end of the day are talented and they can drag you over the line especially the likes of Farrell Jamie George Etoje lads were just born winners yeah yeah, I mean, you don't, you know, if it's working for you, then you know, just just carry on and and keep keep kind of layering things as 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 you go along. And I think you know, we saw that we saw that in this game. I think where they they stuck to making a mess of set piece. I don't know how many times Fiji messed up their lineouts, even after winning the ball cleanly. You know bit of pressure and they knock it on or someone gets in and they sack I don't know they so many line outs England were able to just sack just sack them down straight away defensive line set and they're shooting up they're in your face and they're not giving Fiji any time um now that did that did slow that line speed towards the end so they they they, they really kind of went went hard early and, and tried to try to slow down um the Fijians but you know if if that game, you know, had been a little bit longer or, you know, they played a few more phases and, and Fiji tried to throw it around a little bit more, then then maybe we could be talking about a different kind of result. But I think that they at the end of the at the end of the match they the the English had done enough, you know, they had they had held them out and Fiji didn't really have um much to play with. But I don't think England have been um tested to really change their kind of approach. They've been ahead in pretty much all their games, I think, haven't they? And there's not really been a time when they've had to, you know, just, push. Just the Samoa game, but even at that, they were they were pushing anyways. It was that it was a more open game than that's right, yeah. You'd have expected. Yeah. So it was you know, that was a little bit nervy, but I suppose they 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 still sort of stuck to the stuck to the game plan and kind of did what they had to because they probably knew that they could you know they could muscle out Samoa come come 65 70 minutes try and do that against South Africa um you know this week coming up it's it's not going to be you're going to have to try something different you're going to have to throw the ball out and give it to Elliot Daly a bit more or you know um or maybe Marcus Smith at, at 15 why they did that I have no idea but 
Um, it it was not his day. <laughs> the poor lad was battered and bruised. But they just, they England just stuck with their guns and didn't really have to do much else. And um, that got you a semi final. So want to like it but that's the that's the luck of the draw isn't it so yeah. uh, and it's better it's better to be lucky than to be good i've i've made this point yeah. all year on these podcasts that like everyone talks about oh you need depth you don't actually need depth to win a world cup you need about 26 lads that the history shows you only ever go that far if you're going to win because after that it just becomes tough and england to be fair have been mainly fit when they when they didn't have lads suspended and they got the job done and just we'll we'll leave it at this now after this, but BHH, I'll, I'll finish with you. One thing that probably should get talked about is England's scrum because they got fairly eviscerated at times on Sunday, and South Africa have proven with you know the the four lads that they select and probably the seventeen hundred different props they have waiting in the wings in South Africa that they have guys who know how to scrummage and put you under immense pressure. And if England can't get that right. It's very hard to see them win having any chance. Absolutely, like it's hard to see them having any chance, even if they get parity at the scrum. Yeah, I, I probably, I probably should have prefaced that as well. But yeah, I will, I will say though that um, Fiji have had a very strong scrum in the la- in the tournament. So um, I, I don't know if that's an England weakness or a Fiji strength, but in either case, you'd you'd fancy South Africa to get a penalty or two out of England and. If that's the case, that's not really the script that England are looking for because they're the ones who want the penalties and the three points and and to keep things ticking over and slow. So it could be a long old afternoon for them on uh, Saturday night. It really could, and it it's again we talked about South Africa and their ability to to find something and to go after it and then to change and to to strangle you. Well, they they could do the same on Saturday, but then at the same time. England probably only got to maybe fourth gear. South Africa had to hit sixth, just like France. And typically, when that happens in World Cups, the next game is a bit of a leveler. You know, you know that it happened in 2019 with with New Zealand, and then with England. You know, with the hitting the peak a game early or whatever. And 2015, I can't really remember who, but you could say 20. Um, well, you could say 2015, you could say maybe Argentina. They were brilliant against us and didn't hit the same heights against Australia and so forth. It happens. Mm. You know, it happens from time to time. I do want to move on to Argentina next because they're, they were the, the minor match before the senior match, the, the precursor before the, the main event as far as we are concerned. And they do return to the last four following a 29-17 victory over Wales. BHH, I'll give this one to you as well. I'm I do realize that I've probably given you the short end of the stick here with with these two games, but look, there's there's still a lot to talk about. Wales, like realistically, they're just going to be left ruining the fact that they started fast, but they only got to 10 points in front, and when they had a chance to go further, they couldn't kick on, and then they just ran out of legs. Yeah, absolutely. Like um, as someone who went zero and four in their predictions this weekend, um, you're you're not the only one. Our entire podcast nearly did. I I actually think this is the biggest surprise of the weekend, though. Um, I much like England. I thought Wales are built to be bullies to ground out a, a performance, maximize their chance of winning, and like when they're ten 0 up, you think right, they're just going to 
strangle the Argentinians, play territory, kick their points and, and just move on. And they didn't do it. Like, I've long held the belief that the formula for beating Wales is don't concede penalties to them. And Wales conceded 12 penalties and Argentina 7. Like, that's that's massive for Argentina. That's the only way they were going to win was to do that. And somehow that's, that's what ended up. Like, it wasn't even... Uh, I don't even think Argentina were all that good. So you didn't see much of their magic or flair from that you saw against Japan. They butchered a uh, few a few chances, two or three anyways, that they probably should have done better with. But like Wales are a limited team that have been improving, but they're they're close to their ceiling at, at the same time. I think Gatlin papers over a lot of their cracks. And while I think they probably could have fancied themselves in this semi final and might have given, you know, if it was us, they would have, might have fancied their, their chances against us in the semi final. But this wasn't a group of the four. This was definitely the worst quarter final and the most surprising. And look, credit to Argentina. They've beaten New Zealand twice in this cycle. They might even, they, they could give it a go. It'll be worth watching maybe yeah well depending on where our scar levels are on, on friday night but I, I do agree with you i think wales this is probably their their max maybe not their 80 minute performance but in terms of their overall world cup is their max and jack I, I gave you a similar question about england about how certain lads um dragged them over the line but you look at wales as well I thought george north had a stunning game at the weekend i thought jack morgan was everywhere for every minute at every rock of this entire tournament, it felt like he was the one there for them. Dan Bigger had a huge game. And again, the importance of in tight rugby matches, just having lads who can just see it out. And you think of Rio Dyer's inexperience not giving that pass. You think of Costello with the intercept. It was ultimately lads who weren't blood and bred over the last uh, understandably, they've only come through this onto the scene the last year and a half, so I'm not blaming four-year cycles. But that is where experience are the they're the guys who have to drag you over the line, and they just couldn't. Yeah, yeah, I think um, BHH made a good made a good point about Argentina's discipline because I really noticed that in the game too. I just thought that they were very reactive and very smart with the referee. Every single time they were, you know, they're checking with the ref. They're they're making there's making they're making looks. They're making it look as though they're 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 being, you know, they're showing their their what's the what's the expression? You know, you're you're seeing you're seeing good images from from the Argentinians. They're they're reacting to what the referee's saying and things like that. And they're being very good and they're being very sort of yes sir no sir, whatever you say sir. I thought that was very very smart. I thought they were very good in that sense. They didn't kind of overreached themselves they they just sort of played a game played a physical game I thought and they were just very direct and and they wanted to play quickly but they wanted to play physically and I thought that was just very kind of you know risk averse but seemed to do the job but yeah Wales maybe missing Balotai or maybe they're missing having you know more 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 depth there so that Wainwright could have come on in the last you know 20 or 15 odd and, and, and try and see that game out with a bit more energy or maybe having Gareth Anscombe there who maybe could have you know seen that you know 
Sanchez coming up fast and he might have given the given him the slip and got himself because you know pre pre planned moves. It's hard for the young fella to come in and go. I'm gonna absolutely you know rip this up and just go myself here because you just uh, you just never know what's you know who's who's lingering out the back and you're not a, you're not expecting it. So you know it's tough on him. Um, but yeah, like I I just it was odd. Like I just felt that Wales would have seen that out. I just felt as though they 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 they, they have the they have the wherewithal. They just know how to win, kind of ugly, um, which was really surprising. And you know, for everything that for everything that Wales did did well, um, Argentina just added that a little bit of pressure at the end. And Nicolas Sanchez was just class in that last sort of 10, 10 12 minutes. He was just magic. Um, how he doesn't start games, I don't know, but um, I think I think he's I think he's absolutely fantastic for them. Um, so so it's great. I, I, I'm I'm really happy for Argentina because they they do deserve that over the last sort of couple of years. I think they they're deserving of a you know of a you know quarterfinal win sometimes, but it's just whether they turn up sometimes. You know, like the game against England, you just never know what sort of <laughs> dire kind of game you might watch and it could be it could be it could be similar this weekend against um New Zealand. I hope they go out and play well though and I hope they give it a good uh, a good lash against the All Blacks. But uh yeah Wales will be Wales will be disappointed with that though, I think. Yeah, they will and to their credit, and I do have a few Welsh listeners that I'm not pandering to the crowd on them, but I think to their credit, the best Wales could have done would have been getting through a tough quarterfinal relative, as BHH said, relative to the two teams involved and getting to a semi-final and potentially maybe knocking off an England or an Argentina or whoever in the in the um, third, fourth place game. And it feels like realistically they only came 20 minutes short of that. Like, I don't think that's a bad World Cup when you consider like the second week of February, what was it, the 12th of February or whatever, they were absolutely eviscerated in Murrayfield by Scotland, a team they don't typically lose to in years gone by. Um, so to Gatlin's credit, to Wales's credit, they have they've turned the tide. They've they found a plan that works, and I think the difference is probably just a, a little bit of um of maybe not results bias, but just a bit of bias on our own behalfs because we understand that this is what Gatlin was going to go in there to do, whereas Steve Borthwick probably the same plan for England from a mile out, but we're probably more critical because we haven't seen it before. This is exactly what we expected from Gatland, though. I, We do have to talk about Saturday night. I'm sorry, can I, again. Can I just ask first? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Delay the Saturday night conversation as long as you can, mate. Absolutely. Gladly. Like, we've already talked about how optimistic we are about France. Um, and I, I mentioned, I think, Fiji should take this as a stepping stone. Like, how optimistic are you two about Wales's progression over the next four years? And I will, I will add that I think this is a huge tournament for Jack Morgan in particular, and he should be, you know, he could end up being a Sam Warburton type talismanic figure for for Wales over the over the next however long he wants to be. But how many other lads are there around him as well? When you think the likes of Bigger and Halfpenny and and others are coming towards the end of their career. I think they're going to have a shaky four years, to be honest. I think when they phase out bigger North, Faletau, um, even the likes of an Adam Beard in the second row, 
a position where experience is is crucial. I think they they are going to kind of struggle, but like Dowie Lake has shown he can be a leader. Jack Morgan has shown it. Gareth Anscombe, if he could stay injury free for the remainder of his career, maybe. But the poor lad has been absolutely jinxed. Costello has the talent. Reece Samet has the talent. Rio Dyer has the talent. I think. I think Gatland has an ability to maximise what he has when they get into training camp. The regions are going to have a t- tough three years, I think. I think they're going to struggle to break the, the top 10 in the URC, if I'm, if I'm being entirely honest. Um, I think every once in a while they'll have one good region. Um, but I think Gat- I, think, I do believe Gatland will get the most out of him. I think, I think he's shown it. If he stays, he'll get the most out of him. He'll like. Pivac didn't think Jack Morgan had it for international rugby. It was like the, the South African coaches that get quoted every couple of years about a Van der Merva or a Stander. He didn't think he had it, but he does. He's he's a, he's talented. And eventually, and this has always been the question, the thing, eventually Gatlin's Midas touch is going to run out. And eventually they are going to be as stale at the international game as they are at the regional game until they fix it. But I think for now, I think he'll he'll see them through this rocky waters. I, I I firmly believe that. And I think they'll be, I think they're going to be challenging with Scotland for fourth place in the Six Nations over the next year or so. I, I do think England will push on ahead of them, if I'm being honest. Um, But that's yeah. just because, like realistically, the Premiership has never been worse. It cannot get any worse than it is at the moment, as it has been the last two years. So, the only way is up for them, I feel. Whereas I think Scotland are going to go backward, and I think Wales just don't have the depth. But Jack, what do you think? Yeah, no, I similar similar to yourself there, Kevin. I think that Wales will compete, but I don't think they'll kind of win. If that makes sense, like I don't yeah. think they're 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 at that pitch. I think they'll they'll always be good. tough to beat, won't they? Yeah, and I think that's what Gatland has done with them. He's made them very tough to beat. He's made them quite fit. However, the biggest indictment is that Gatland always wants to have the fittest team ever, right? Um, he was beaten by Argentina, a relatively, you know, inexperienced team at this sort of, you know, grand kind of scale. They've been around for ages, but Argentina don't have the same kind of resources that that you know the top top teams do. So for the for the Argentinians to come back in the last 10, 20 minutes. And sneak sneak it against you when you know you pride yourself on having the fittest team, um, or at least that being the biggest strength in terms of you know what you've got. Then I don't think the the player depth is there. I don't think they have a bigger pool of players, and I think for kind of similar reasons, like you say, but I guess different slightly because England have more players they have sort of better quality individuals but it's whether or not they can kind of make that kind of fit and gel and mix nicely and they can maybe add a little layer or two to their attack and they could they could be quite tricky but but yeah i think wills they've got some lovely players there they've got some great players like costa is a good player and, and rio dyer's a good player i think so those 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 young guys um you know um, Jack Morgan for his for his post match interviews where I can't understand a word he says because he talks that quickly. Um, <laughs> other than that, he's absolutely faultless, like he's glass. But um, they've got some great players, but they're not, you know, they're not Grand Slam winners. They're not. Um, they're not going to be threatening, um, you know, big time for 
um, Six Nations and things like that. So, yeah. And that's not a bad place to be considering they are run by, to use a, a regional fan sign, the worst reunion. <laughs> you know, like some jokes just write themselves. Um, <laughs> Thankfully, and we will talk about it now. So if, if I if I see a drop off in listenership around now in the stats, I'll know why. Thankfully, being the worst run union is not something Ireland have to deal with. Being one of the best run countries, one of the teams that you can be most excited by, one of the teams you want to watch, is something they'll have. A team that plays with passion, with heart, team that we love, we adore. But, but, Saturday night was not to be. <laughs> and Jack, I'll let you lead the way on this one. Like it was an absolute emotional roller coaster from probably the hacker. And sorry, you could probably say Ireland's call to the hacker with the number eight to Andrew Porter looking like Andrew Porter <laughs> in one of the shots. The opening exchanges of the game and feeling like same old story. And then we saw our way back and re. Again, apart from the emotional roller coaster of it, which is my question, like literally Jordy Barrett's leg away from going through. Yeah, that's Andy Farrell is right. That's why we love sport in a really weird way. That's why we love sport. Love and hate in equal measure, isn't it? Like there was, um, yeah, there were so many moments in that game where you just thought it's, it's ebbing that way, it's coming back this way, and you know the. A B's are coming out and doing this, and you think, oh, geez, here they're not they're not the same All Blacks team we beat, you know, last year, and you know they're just not. This is a different beast. We just think, okay, I still believe we can, you know, we can, you know, manipulate them, get them kind of bent out of shape, expose Rico Yuani, which I thought they did a bit. I think they could have done more because he missed a lot of tackles. He lets um. I think he lets Bundyaki in for his for his score, things like that. Sort of, I just think there were moments where you just thought, "Yep, they've got them there. They just need to do that a little bit more to make it sort of simplify it." And I thought that so many moments, I just thought, "Okay, I think Ireland have the measure of them now. I think they've 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 kind of they can work this out. They can kind of work New Zealand out." Uh, and I thought that they kind of did that by sort of half time, but at 45 minutes, because I thought that we had played most of the rugby, like we didn't kick an awful lot, which I thought was maybe a bit of a downfall. Um, because I, I kind of forget how many kicks New Zealand had in that game, it was something like 33 to like 16 from us. You know, it was, it was a vast. Um, it, it was us going. And I I let you jump back in a minute, but it was kind of us going off scheme in some regard. Like we we usually kick more often than we do, and a couple more phases than we do. Yeah, it's going to be skewed by going twenty and thirty phases, um, at two different occasions of the game. But Ireland did have to go off scheme a little bit, and New Zealand, to their credit, the kicking point, they they nailed that part of the game. Absolutely, absolutely nailed it. I mean, I just thought. You know, they chipped maybe what twice in that in that first half, I think. Maybe 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 more, but it was two or three times and every single time they they regathered it, probably scored out of two of those three. Um so they just you know, they just they, they they showed they showed us a picture to kind of use the phrase I used earlier. They 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 gave us a picture and went, Well, there you go. What are you gonna do about that? 
And then we didn't react and didn't put, you know, somebody just in behind like Jamison Gibson Park, who I thought had a unfortunately a really poor game. Um and they just outsmarted us. Classic New Zealand, like that's what they do. They do something that you just they're not expecting, and you just think, oh well, you didn't do that last year, so you're not expecting them to do it again. It was it was fascinating as a game. Obviously, it's heartbreaking because they were so physical. They were so good at the breakdown. They just slowed everything down for us, made it messy, you know. Um, and I mean, I'll let you guys jump in here because it was like, it was just, there was so much going on that you just couldn't really work out what was going on. Johnny Sexton's kicking like chip kicks into the 22 and you're just like, what are we, what are we doing this for? Like, it doesn't we, make any we sense. Two, we two skip passes and two cross kicks that were millimeters from coming off. Yeah. You know, we had a kick in behind that they got a good block on Will Jordan's 50-22 when they were literally on the 50 meter line when that ball went back into the pocket. That comes from that. A bounce of a ball for the Fayanuku try. Now, to be fair, Bowden Barrett, as he said with the chip kicks, was unreal. He he had one of his best games as a fullback. You have the scrum penalties, which as we know with Ireland, yeah, they paint this picture the whole time, but they sometimes get the benefit because, you know, Tyrell Lomax was also swinging his hips out, but that's the nature of it. You know, you have to see who who's the cause, not who's both at it. Um, you had instances of, as we said, with the the leg, the Jordy Barrett's leg holding up Ronnie Keller, Kellen Doris's knock on, Johnny Sexton's missed kick a couple of loose handling errors, of which Ireland had very few, I should say. Um, more loose passes that didn't go perfect to hand. And, you know, that that was more of an issue than actually dropping the ball. BHH, I'll let you jump in now, because as Jack said, fine, fine margins at test level. And it's, it's so hard. Uh, you'd have to be a really, really grumpy person to be mad at this Irish team, because they played quite well. Not Not perfect. Not perfect, but they did quite well. And New Zealand just happened to hit 100%. And that's just sport. Like. Oh, yeah. Um, where to start, really? Um, I um, I actually think that we saw a Joe Schmidt dream match. You know, like both of New Zealand's first half tries came directly from chip kicks. You know, like, and as Jack said, it's something that they employed a lot throughout the first half. Uh, it's clearly something that was identified before the game and, and it caught Ireland out. But at the same time, uh, and I think what the third try was uh, first phase, first phase move that they caught something. It caught uh, Van der Fleer and Doris uh, from a line out. Van der Fleer and Sheehan was enough. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But the point being is, they uh, they targeted targeted saw weakness, targeted it, and got three tries from it. Yeah, they didn't really threaten us a huge amount in face play. Otherwise, um, it felt like in defence, Ireland were driving them back. They could have you know periods of sixteen or, or twenty phases, and we weren't all that troubled otherwise. So. It's hard to take when when a game like that 
when that happens in a game and conversely our phase play was better you know like we kept up the ball for 37 phases towards the end every time in the first half it looked like we were getting outside them especially targeting Rico Ioani uh, I do have to credit the New Zealand coaches at half time because we were much more threatening in the first half than we were in the second half and we were more reliant on our forwards in the second half especially you know mall time and and you know got one try out of it and nearly had a second um like as a game i do think we looked like the better side but new zealand were more clinical and you know how many times in the last 25 years have we ever said that new zealand were clinical you know that yeah that that is their ethos so look from that point of view it's hard to take um like even when we were thirteen 0 down, it felt like we were the better team. And I don't know about you two. It wasn't until that Barnes signals a penalty after Whitelock locked on the ball that I thought we weren't going. You know, I, I I was confident the entire time up until the very end, and it was a direct, you know, opposition to that the two thousand thirteen game. You know where. Yeah. It, like it just it felt like that. it was going to be payback for that. Yeah. So, like, I don't think this New Zealand team is as good as South Africa. I uh, going forward, I think South Africa should be heavy favourites. Yeah. Oh, at the same time, looking at the Irish performance, it's hard to it's hard to look at anything and go, yeah, they got that wrong. You know, there was a few defensive lapses, but like, when is there not? You know. Yeah. Um, I think I think they could have got more right as a whole but I do want people listening and yourselves to know I don't mean that as a criticism I mean that more as maybe they could have adapted slightly better but I mean slightly like New Zealand were fl- were flooding the rocks but because of that the, the wide shots showed it a few times they were extremely narrow you know, we probably needed to just keep someone. And we did go for it. I will say we did go for it. We kept Dan Sheehan out wide at times, Peter O'Mahony holding their wits. And we were very close pulling off. And that's where it's execution error. And look, in the case of the Dan Sheehan and the bounce of the ball. Yeah. But it is literally, if they change things 1%, you you might win the game. Like, it's it's not even, I, I'm more saying it just to throw it out there more than Anthony. Yeah, you you say that though as well. Like part of the opening, part of the issues in the opening twenty or thirty minutes was the line out, and like they conceded more penalties early. You know, there was the the tie burn not rolling away at the start, and to to make it three nil, and then I think there was one other one on Porter's, and like they let that happen, and then they adapted fairly quickly. You know, there wasn't that many penalties let go otherwise. You're kind of like, oh, what, you know, why isn't Barnes doing that? But he was consistent the entire game. You know, it was whatever he was doing to us, he was doing to them. And New Zealand had it for the entire game, and we took fifteen or twenty minutes to adapt. And you know, we fixed the line out as well after thirty minutes. So it's not like we didn't adapt. It's just that New Zealand didn't need to because they were already there. And like, it's hard to look back on that and say, oh, they should have done something different, or they should have gone and made. Any like it's, but at the same time, I still think they were, they should have won. You know, it's yeah, it's a, 
it's one of the hardest losses to look at and go. The the hardest. I'm gonna like I I understand there's Leinster fans who lost two Ireland Cup finals by what three points in the last two years. And I'm not diminishing that, but from my own point of view, the hardest loss, like the emotional roller coaster again to use that term from the figure of eight before the game and seeing knowing the weekend it was seeing Peter Mahoney and Conor Murray at the front of that like quite literally the two most forward people at that and you see Andrew Porter you see the the camera cuts to Johnny Sexton Johnny Cam about what 75 times over 80 minutes um for no reason and there's the post game scenes and everything it's and the hope the hope is is the crazy thing you know like i i i kind of agree with your point about the the last couple of minutes you thought they were going to score but at the same time i don't even know how what i felt because i didn't know if i was asking for a penalty i didn't know if i was asking for a moment a score for new zealand not to get it right like how often do you can go f- 5 minutes of defending without conceding a penalty so rare like so, so rare. I, the only moment that I can remember that comes to us with is Northampton in twenty eleven, and Munster couldn't even breach their twenty two. Ireland did get into their twenty two. Like it is, you have to give New Zealand so much credit. Like you, you just have to. It was a clash of the titans, and they came out on top. And fair play to them. I did. I do want to throw something at you because I have a stat here. Um, for anyone who ever thinks. I don't use, don't, or I rely on other people's content too much. Here you go again. The brilliant Tom Savage with um, uh, a couple of, of Rook stats for us on, on his Patreon. I'm just going to borrow one of them. I want to ask you, lads, and you can both get a guess at this. If you, if I was to tell you that the Irish player with the most clean breaks also had the most dominant Rook clearances, who do you think it would be? The lads are thinking now. I know silence isn't a great in the podcast. The lads are really thinking about <laughs> <Sorry>. this. <laughs> Jack, do you want to first? The most dominant clear outs and the most clean breaks. Yeah, not a lot of clean breaks because it was that kind of game, but yeah. I, I Dan Sheehan. Incorrect. Bundy, yeah. Bundy is a great guess. It is a back, but it's not Bundy. Ringrose. Hugo Keenan. Hugo Keenan. Hugo Keenan had 10 dominant cleanouts. And to be fair, I did think halfway through the game, I was like, I'm seeing Hugo in a lot more rooks. But I didn't realize it was as good as it was. Peter Mahoney was second with eight. And to be fair, I actually thought every time Peter Mahoney hit a rook, he actually nearly broke someone's leg. He was visceral. Like the one on Sam, was it Sam Kane before the Bundiaki try? Like he got the full, the full clear out of it. But that it was that kind of game. Ireland did have to adapt. <laughs> yeah. Laz like Keenan did have to get stuck in. Ring rolls as well. His rook stats were were really good. Like he was he was at least a pillar on twenty of the rooks for an outside centre, as well as being defensively really good and offensively really sharp as well. Like he his passing game was was really good at times under a lot of pressure. Like that's exactly the example of Ireland being shoved off scheme. Having to figure it out, and to be fair, I I hope I didn't come across too critical earlier. Having to figure it out, and they did, but just that one percent short, and that's all it is. It is that fine margins again. And Jack, I, 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 
it's hard to frame questions on on a game like this because you you don't want to repeat this the same points over and over and over again. But like for Ireland to for Ireland to lose, we felt like New Zealand had to hit hundred percent, and they did. And Ireland would have to hit probably ninety percent to have a chance, and they probably did realistically. But it feels like this game was lost for all the talk of being 13 0 down and everything. This game was kind of lost in the moments between, you know, the the two two moments. Will Jordan scores a 60 meter first phase try. And just after the Rona Keller gets held up and Ireland just look completely deflated. Um and Kayla Doris makes a rare mistake. And you, you just kind of know then they're the two moments of the game where you're just thinking, ah. And like, <laughs> yeah, it, it it can it's too simple, but is it, a simplistic way of looking at. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I mean, I think um, I think you both make pretty interesting points, and I think that there's a couple of things. I don't think that the Will Jordan score is 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 that significant. They're probably going to get another. It's obviously significant. <laughs> there's, there's a few faces going I mean, on. Lost by four points, but. Um, <laughs> But I mean, they're gonna, they're you know, New Zealand are gonna, are gonna, they're gonna pull something out in that in that second half. There's, you're not gonna, you're not gonna completely contain them. So they're they're probably gonna get some kinds of scores. I think the two big things for me were probably that Jordy Barrett misses the penalty, and then we don't exit well enough from that. Connor Murray gets us. I'm gonna say it's a soft penalty. Like I, another another referee another day doesn't give that. Because goes, if that happens at the last minute, as we said with Barnes not giving away a penalty in the right. tier coach, it doesn't happen. Yeah, Barrett goes down so easily. So, so look, Murray, Murray knows what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's making it look like he's going for the ball. He's he's looking at the ball, but he's get he's all over Barrett. Barrett goes down. They get another penalty, and there you are. You're you're outside. You're outside one score. No, it could be could be Stade de France uh, deja vu for Johnny Sexton if he you know slots back in the pocket. Once we get into the twenty two at the end of the game, you know that's a completely different, um, completely different game. But yeah, the big one is you've just scored a penalty try. You go to the corner again, and you don't get a pushover try. Like how on earth does Callagher not? Get into a position that's mm. that's that's that that's better. We are all saying that Jordy Barrett is has done a great job, and of course he has because that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to try and get a bit of a side on sort of hit on someone so that you can you can get under their under their torso. If you know if Keller is in a better better position or he times it better, there's absolutely no way you can stop someone from that from that distance from that sort of speed and par. There's just absolutely no way you can you can stop that. It's like a it's like a it's like a scrum going over. You know, you just you just put the ball down. Like it's a simple skill, but how how they you know they freaked out, got a bit nervy. Kelleher has has a has a habit of you know getting the nerves, shall we say, and not performing maybe sometimes to the fullest extent. We're talking like one or two percent here. Like New Zealand were absolutely fantastic, but like we were saying, they weren't outstandingly brilliant and blew us out of the water. We had a couple of good uh, set met, set plays that, that were clever and exposed a few bits, but we were able to adapt and come back at them and, and, and score tries ourselves. So, you know, they were a few percent points 
better than us and they also had a little bit of the rub of the green and they got a few of those late calls and I think that's what you need to to win you know to win a knockout game yeah absolutely and like Rob Herring and Dan Sheehan have made a habit of breaking at the right time and, and scoring from but that's just how the ball swung around like it's it's not on killer I've another I've another Rob Herring scores that try just for all else oh, okay <laughs> another horrible stat fee um, the top five most phases in Rugby World Cup history according to um, uh, Cage Mini I think it is the the stat partner of the World Cup Wales 2011 got to 27 against France, they lost that game. England in 2019 got to 28 against South Africa, they lost that game. New Zealand got to 28 against France in 2007, they lost that one. Wales in 2011 against Australia got to 32, they lost that. And the most phases ever in a World Cup game, Ireland 37 against New Zealand, they lost that. So Yeah, we get it, Kaden. <laughs> it's not ideal, <laughs> you know. We lost. It, just, it, just, it just shows, again, like perception would have thought that anytime you go over like 30 phases they're going to concede a penalty or you're going to get something out of it yeah. maybe not maybe it's just maybe it's just not meant to be I'll just let you close on the tournament as a whole from, from an Ireland perspective and even the two years as a whole whatever way you want to take it PHH I'll come to you first like nobody can be upset with, with Ireland I feel like they, they can't be too dis- they can be disappointed don't get me wrong we can't be too Angry or anything? Um, would you? How would you like to sum up this this World Cup in the last couple of years? Oh, what a journey! Like I don't think you can phrase it in anything other than a journey. You know, um, I was thinking earlier today, like when you think back to the 2007 World Cup or the 2019 World Cup and the infamous reviews that came afterwards. I like, d- I don't believe there was a 2019 World Cup. I believe it was postponed to to a time. But like. If there's going to be, you know, some major internal review of how, how this cycle went, like, I'm not sure there's a huge amount I can, I would recommend changing, you know, maybe, you know, personally, I don't like having an inside center as you're uh, 23 on the bench, but like, other than that, systemically, I thought everything was very good for two years and it's not like we peaked too early it's not like we did anything wrong in the tournament it's not like we did anything wrong with the prior priorities in the six nations uh it's it's just hard to take you know it is jack well what have you made of the last um year two years um month and all that from from ireland um yeah, I mean, probably not enough Ulster players in the squad. I'd probably just say that, but uh, <laughs> no. you're um, you're being paid to say that by oh, uh, yeah, by Johnny Peach. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, having a backup ten maybe to um close the game out. Um, you know, um, <laughs> probably probably should probably should start there. Watch uh, it, <laughs> but uh, but I mean. Like there's not there's not a huge there's not a huge amount. I think that I think that one of the things that we've we've found out is that we 
we we find a style that suits us. I think then we find a way to utilize the best of our abilities. And I think that you know the style and the style of play that we've used does work, and it does give us a lot of variety. And I think that probably sort of disseminating that throughout the provinces is probably going to be a helpful way to again get cohesiveness which has been like the big the biggest thing to come out of this sort of four years is that you know all the all the guys playing in in Leinster they come play in the Ireland team it's very seamless and everyone just fits in and it's very easy to just see the 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 relationships and the connections just work really really nicely now if we have that kind of top-down approach where okay actually lads we find this works really well and we can actually beat the best teams in the world if we just do it more and more often then you're 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 more likely to you know win those to- clo- close tight games again so i think just getting getting a whole kind of systematic approach throughout throughout the whole kind of four provinces is probably where i'd kind of go with it um but 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 there's very there's very few kind of um work-ons i guess to use a bit of a joe schmidt phrase but um yeah there's really not much it's a really good it's a really good last sort of two years for for an Irish point of view yeah I, I'd agree and I made the point on Twitter um somehow I managed to count no sorry in a brief second of calmness in between <laughs> everything at the end I managed to to find the words I I did say like the last two years has been unprecedented success it's been nothing but joy it's been nothing but exciting rugby it's been something you could be proud of and you know I was making notes I didn't have time to to record a Friday podcast on the game by itself but I was making notes on on it and I I was saying like this was our chance to to have our Italian IT moment our Katie Taylor moment and yeah it's gone a begging but like still never going to forget Zombie after the South Africa game you're still never going to forget that game in general like you're never going to forget winning the Grand Slam on home soil. You're not going to forget beating the All Blacks because we haven't done enough times to forget any of them. Um, none of these things you forget about or you disregard. I I do want to say there is a chance that Mike Cash might be going. There's been no word of him of him signing a contract. Um, so we'll wait and see. I've if. Again, this was something I, I posed on Twitter. I think the best man for the job is in Ireland, but I don't want to see him get the job. And that's Mike Brandegas. I think he's one of the best stack coaches in the world. Again, we'll wait and see. Um, just before we go, because I've kept you long enough, semi-finals, BHH, New Zealand against Argentina Friday night. Who's winning that one? Um, look, Argentina needs to keep that close early or else it's going to get out of hand. So New Zealand for me. Mike was on mute. Okay. Um, Jack, who's taking that? Are you going to New Zealand or are you gonna go for the upset? Um, I I I'd love I'd love Argentina to make an upset, but that would just make the uh the final a bit of a non uh, non starter, I think. So so yeah, New Zealand as well. Okay. And Jack, I'll let you lead for the Saturday Night Lights twenty nineteen final replay, England against South Africa. Ah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like I know which way you're gonna go. No, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go with England on this one. They're gonna get their revenge <laughs> on uh, on the on the box and, and and go all the way. Yeah, they're my they're my team to win the the World Cup. Um, you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. Uh, yeah, I mean South Africa are just gonna. I think I think genuinely that will be the 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 more convincing of the semi-final wins. I think I think South Africa will really turn up turn up the heat on England. I think they want to try and blast them out of the out of the first half, and then try and coast their way to to the end of the match. So I think South Africa are going to go really hard at England early to try and get that game done as quickly as possible. <laughs> I, so, yeah. I can see that, so especially, when they, yeah. Yeah, especially, especially when they don't have the extra day like New Zealand do. Like, if you could get the job done at halftime, it could make a huge difference come a week time, like a week later. I'm going to say South Africa, and I'm going to say New Zealand, but I'm going to throw in a huge caveat on the New Zealand game. In 1989, in 1995, in 1999, in 2003, in 2000, sorry, 2007 doesn't count. We didn't get out the pool. 2003, 2011, 2015, 2019. The team who beat Ireland in the quarterfinals or in the knockouts lost their next game. So, mm. you never know. You never know. I, but I'm going to stay in New Zealand. They're going to win because I think they're the better team. But, you know, just saying, we might be the curse as opposed to having a curse on us. They right. actually be yeah. the curse after all. No, the curse is the uh, the curse is the eighteen match winning streak. No one's ever gonna, no one's ever gonna get more yeah. than eighteen. Unless you're Cyprus, that's the curse. Let's just say it's Cyprus at twenty five, and then we'll just stop looking to achieve <laughs> it. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure, despite everything. It has been a a good group therapy session, all things considered. We all enjoyed the mm. rugby, and that's you know, even if it was incredibly deflating come Saturday night. I will be back with preview and recap pods of the semi final action. And you can catch me on the new Red Army podcast, which returns this Wednesday as we look ahead to Monsters season. As always, thanks home to everyone for listening. If you like what you see or hear, please do subscribe. And you can find the links for my social medias as well as the lads' Twitter pages down below. But for next time, and until, sorry, but for until next time, thanks a lot to the lads. Sports Social Podcast Network.